0: Good morning. It's a delight for my wife and I to be here again. We were here two weeks ago uh, and preached the message and uh, had a delightful time and it's just be good, good to be with you again. Thank you, praise team, for taking us to the throne this morning and beautiful, beautiful worship. Uh, last Sunday morning, we were awakened to the news of what happened in Israel on Saturday. And I don't know if, about you, but I thought uh, unrest in Israel... Not exactly a news flash, and then we started hearing the details of the atrocities that were taking place—absolutely horrendous, inhumane—and we've watched this develop all week long and starting to escalate. And now the Israeli defense forces are on the verge of going in, actually uh, taking over that whole strip of Gaza. Uh, Iran's threatening to come into play in this as well if Israel continues and. Uh, the nations, I'm uh, uh, delighted to see all over the world, buildings lit up with the, with the, the colors of Israel, the blue and white. But uh, as we come here this morning, and we've been inundated with this all week long, there's a there's a, I read about this years ago, that there's a, a syndrome called a, the uh, narcotizing dysfunction. You ever heard of that? I hadn't either, I'd looked it up uh, probably 10 years ago when I heard about it. The narcotizing dysfunction is the substitution of knowledge for action. And that is, uh, to th- for, for somebody to think they have knowledge of a problem, they're convinced because they have the knowledge they've, s- have they helped, they've helped solve the problem. And so if you've read an article uh, online and you like it, you indicate like, and maybe you share it, then narcotizing dysfunction is the, the thinking that because I know and because I've done something with that knowledge, then I'm solving the problem. Uh, and, there's, and so as a result, um, people feel that by reposting something, they're solving the problem. It's a substitution of knowledge for action. And I don't know about you, all this week, I thought, we got to do something. we got to do something about this, and yet we feel so helpless. The problem started 4,000 years ago. And the problem still exists today. There hasn't been a solution. And yet the praise team this morning led us to the name of that solution. The name is Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can break down those middle walls of partition. He did it with Jews and Gentiles when he formed the church. We read about that in Colossians chapter 1. And it's only Jesus that can do this, that can break down those walls of, of centuries and centuries of animosity. So we need to pray today. We can do something, and we, 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 can, we can pray. There may be more we can do down the road as this develops, but certainly at this point, we need to pray. But how do we pray? May I suggest, first of all, we pray for, uh, for peace. For peace, and by that I mean a lot more than just stopping the missiles. I mean peace in the hearts of people. So let's pray for the church there. The church is found both uh, among Jews and among Gentiles, among the, the the Jews as well as the Palestinians. And my wife and I have served over in Israel with both groups. And uh, and even those, the, the, those churches, uh, one working mostly with Arabs and one working exclusively with Jews, they don't get along. So let's pray that the church over there, the expression of the body of Christ, would find ways of working together to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in that region so that many, many people would come to know Jesus as their Savior. And let's pray as well for the leaders of our country as decisions have to be made in terms of how to get involved, when and how much and that kind of thing. Let's, let's be praying for that as well. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father and our God, our hearts are heavy today as we've seen uh, visuals of bloodshed, of of things unspeakable. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, I pray, Lord, that your will would prevail. I pray, Father, that that the the forces of evil and wickedness, um, Father, would be restrained. I pray for the leaders of our country, our president, the legislatures, that, Lord, you would uh, give them wisdom. Uh, May they be of one mind. And, Lord, I pray that they would do the right things. Uh, But, Lord, show them the way. And then, Father, I pray as well for the church in Israel. I pray, Lord, that you would unite the Jewish church as well as the Palestinian church, that they would see that their enemy is not each other, but their enemy is uh, the ruler of the darkness of this world. And so, Father, may they be united and, Father, drive them to their knees together so that, Father, the opportunities for the gospel in that uh, dry and thirsty land would be realized through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, we pray, for, we, pray for, uh, we pray for peace. And, Lord, may it prevail. May it begin in the hearts of people one by one as they see Jesus as the only Prince of Peace. Who can, who can deliver. Father, for this time in the Word today, our Lord, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, guidance. May our hearts and minds be open to whatever you have for us. And Father, I pray that you would use something from the message of the service today to minister to every single person here, that we might uh, not only hear and believe, but Father, something might change in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And we'll thank you in his name. Amen. When we think of the, the world we live in and the lives that we live, um, one of the I ask the question: What brings me most joy? And I think if you're at what, what brings you most joy, Doug? I think what brings me joy is when I see the hand of God at work. Does that bring you joy? When you just see when you see somebody come to know Jesus, or when you see somebody who's struggling in their faith make that decision of a, of a step forward in their faith to be more like Jesus. What brings me joy, I love baptisms. Do you? Just that visual expression that maybe somebody who's 80 years old or maybe somebody who's 8 years old. I was 8 when I was baptized in a little church just like this. Baptized and I'll never I'll never forget that moment of, uh, of that surrender to Jesus. Every one of those baptisms is a picture of God at work. So I love any expressions of God at work. It brings me great joy. When I hear somebody that's made a great decision for Jesus, I just want to shout inside. People have different views of God's intervention in our lives. Um, Christians do. Some Christians live life as if God didn't exist. They make all their decisions without Him. There may be over on this side where um, one author called it practical atheism. In other words, practical atheism, we believe that there's a God, We've, we may have accepted Jesus as our Savior, but we live and make decisions as if He doesn't exist. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It happens. It can easily happen into our lives where we have self-confidence, I've been here before, I can do this. And sometimes it's God needs to get our attention to draw us to the place where we realize we need Him. I remember a man in my office years ago, I didn't know him. He was recommended by a friend, very wealthy man. He's, uh, uh, if you, uh, he's on national uh, radio and some national television, so recognizable. But he was, he was having a hard time because he was going through a divorce. And up until that time in his life, everything was wonderful. His life was wonderful. His marriage, he thought, was wonderful. His children were wonderful. Uh, he had all kinds of money. He had all kinds of fame. And so he's telling me a story. And as he's telling me his story, he says, and I know um, that um, God doesn't bring anything into our lives that we can't handle. And I let him finish his story. And then I I came back to that. I said, David, uh, you mentioned something, that God doesn't bring anything into our lives that we can't handle. I said, I think God does that all the time. And he, he looked at me, he said, why would God do that? I said, maybe, maybe God does that to help us to realize that we were never meant to live life without him. So this is practical atheism. And then the other extreme of God's intervention in our lives is the person who drives into a parking lot and prays that God would show the right parking spot. You know, just the the opposite, where they're in the grocery store and there are six different brands of potato chips, all of them equally bad for us, (laughs) but this is the person who prays about all of those details, Lord, help me to choose the right brand here of potato chips. And so this is a continuum, and all of us are somewhere along in this continuum of wanting God's intervention either for the details or not at all until something bad hits. I want to show you from the scriptures this morning two contrasting ways that God intervenes in our lives. I I think there are many more than two. You you never want to box God in. I think there are many ways that God intervenes in our lives. These are just two broad ways. That he intervenes, and how he intervened in the nation of Israel. If you have your Bibles, you may want to join me in Psalm 126. Psalm 126. Um, <clears throat> you'll notice when you get there that uh, there's a, there's a title above or right next to the number on your. You, you see that, where it says a song of, a sense, or some of you may have in your Bibles a song of degrees. And there are two views, and these are 15 psalms that were written, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. So all of those are psalms of ascent, or songs of degrees. But ascend, or ascending, many believe that there are one of two reasons why these were written and how they were used. The children of Israel were to gather together in Jerusalem three times a year, or four times a year, for uh, the main... Um, they, were, they were required as, as heads of families to come, so they come to Jerusalem for these festivals. But Jerusalem, remember reading the scripture it says we're going up to Jerusalem. We use the word up to go north, upper peninsula. We're going up north for the weekend. In, in Israel, they use the term up to refer to Jerusalem because it was elevated. It was elevated. That's where the temple was, and so they would go up to Jerusalem. And as they would go up, many believe as they would travel uh, from wherever they were, whatever country they were coming from, they would sing these songs, the songs of ascent. Maybe as they're leaving home, they sing Psalm 120, and 121, and 122, and 123. Why would they do that? To prepare their hearts for the throne, to worship at the temple. Others say maybe it wasn't to to be sung on the way up to Jerusalem, but maybe it was to be sung on the 15 steps that that were involved in the southern approach to the temple. So they would kneel on the first step, Psalm 120, 121, 122, 123, until they got to the top and could enter the the temple and their hearts were ready for worship. We don't know what which what it was, but the purpose I think was to prepare the hearts for worship. I, at our church over the years, right pastored, I often challenge the people: when you be prepared for Sunday worship. Well, how do we do that? We all get showered and get ready and have breakfast and you put the you get your coffee and your Bible and you get all the kids in the car. You put the Bible on the roof and you, or your coffee on the roof of the car. And does that ever happen to anybody? Yes. And then you drive away. I've done that, I think, twice now. Um, once a neighbor found the Bible and <laughs> called me about it. Um, but we, we, you know, it's rushed, it's hurried, we get here in time, maybe a little early, maybe a little late, but our hearts aren't ready. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we're all, all of our hearts were more prepared, maybe by getting up a little earlier, maybe by Saturday night, read a couple of these songs of ascent to prepare our hearts. So are you with me yet? Okay, you want to let's jump into these two contrasting ways of God's intervention. Well let's understand, and let's look at each way in the light of two things. Number one, what was the the history or the story behind how God worked? Secondly, what was the kind of action? Third, what was the response? And fourth, what was the result? Okay? Let's look at the first one. starting, Uh, Psalm 126, 1 through 4, let me just read. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for us, or for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev there are many possible stories behind this. This means of God's intervention is where God intervenes dramatically, suddenly, miraculously. Probably what scholars would indicate, maybe the story that's behind this, was the time period in Israel's history when the northern kingdom had already gone into captivity, And the Assyrians now had come down and had captured all the coastal cities along the plain. These were the defense cities for the city of Jerusalem. And they were happy with that. So was happy with that for a time. And then he said to Hezekiah, the king of Israel in Jerusalem, he said, pay tribute or I'm going to conquer the city of Jerusalem as well. So Hezekiah paid tribute paid this heathen king money to not destroy them. And finally the king, and by the way you can see the, in the British museums and so forth, some of the mosaics or frescoes of those capturing of the cities. And finally the king said, I want Jerusalem too. I want Jerusalem. And by the way, if you trace back through the Bible you see this conflict between two cities. The city of God and the city of man city of God is represented by Jerusalem. city of man, represented all, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, or Babylon. And so you'll see Assyria is representing this Babylon, and Babylon would take over Assyria in time. But the king of Assyria said, no, I want Jerusalem. So he sent his general, called the Rabshaki, he sent him down south to Jerusalem, and he surrounded the city. This is an old tactic, to cut off supplies, water supplies, not allowing anybody to escape, but basically choking them out, food and supplies, and particularly water. And so, and then the Shaki is speaking out and saying to the people sitting on the wall uh, from inside the city, he said, if you think uh, your God's going to save you, he's not going to save you. How do you know that your God hasn't sent us To deliver you. If you think Egypt's going to save you down to the south, if you think Egypt's going to, it's like leaning on a cane and having the point of that cane come right through your hand. They're not going to save you. And so uh, Hezekiah the king sent out an ambassador to have this conversation with him, a man by the name of Eliakim. And so having this conversation, And Eliakim, and they're negotiating, and and Rabshakeh, the Bible says, is using blasphemous terms. And he's speaking in the language, the Hebrew language, so that all the people on the wall can hear and understand and get discouraged. So what happened is they ended that meeting, Eliakim came back in and went to tell the king what had happened in that conversation. I'm sure the king had already heard But he told Hezekiah, this is what's happened, and unless we surrender, we're going to be destroyed. What does a king do when he doesn't know what to do? What does a president do when the country's in trouble? They should go to God. They should go to God. What Hezekiah did is he went to the prophet of God, Isaiah. He told Isaiah the story, and Isaiah prayed to the Lord. He said, came back to the king, he said, this is what's going to happen. He said, God is our refuge and strength. And God is going to save us. And what happened was that there was a rumor of war up in Assyria. And so this whole entire army that was surrounding the city of Jerusalem, ready to capture it, had to retreat to go up and fight a battle. And when they did, when they went to fight that battle, in one night... The angel of the Lord killed 185,000 of those Assyrians, and the city of Jerusalem was preserved. The people were never, ever supposed to forget that, that this was the day that God intervened. It could have been uh, that kind of action we we saw in Joshua chapter 3. When the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt and wandered, remember, for 40 years, they come now to the brink of the Jordan River, ready to cross over, but the Jordan River's in flood season now. How are they going to get across, some estimate, maybe a million to perhaps even two million people? Well, what happened was as soon as the priests, remember, remember uh, God said to Joshua, and Joshua said, um, Sanctify yourselves, for the Lord will do great wonders among you. The word wonders there, when it's translated, it means amazing, astonishing, hard to explain. By the, same, by the way, the same word that was used with regards in, in, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called wonderful. It does amazing, astonishing, hard to explain things. And so, sanctify yourself, the Lord will do great wonders among you. The next morning, as the priest, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, came and stepped foot, the waters spread. So the people were able to walk through on dry land. I read a commentary many years ago that the author doesn't believe in any miracles, doesn't believe in any type of divine intervention. And so he said, it's obvious what happened here. It's happened two other times in history, you go 12 miles up north on the the, the the Jordan River and there's a place called Adam where the the the, uh, the the walls of the river collapse cutting off the river and so he said that's that's the natural exp- that's what happened even if that were what what was happening it was god who did the timing and made it happen because they walked through can you imagine you step foot there and they walk through on Dry land, the Bible says. So it could have been that event. It could have been any number of events where God worked this way. Amazing, astonishing. Immediate. So this is the kind of action where God does it all. He does it all. Um, we, are, we do nothing. We just have a front row seat to his action. I remember years ago, my wife and I were blessed by our church. They sent us to Hawaii. Um, we never understood the one-way part of it, but uh, <laughs> but we so we went to and our kids were at the age our, our son our oldest was in college and it was this was during the summer in July we went and so in previous trips we'd always brought in somebody Grandma D we called her and she watched the kids and the kids were saying we love Grandma D but we're old enough now well, we weren't convinced but uh, so we had. We had people that were watching him, but they stayed in the house by themselves, Andy and his two younger sisters. We're in Hawaii. We came back to the hotel one day, and there's a flashing light on the phone, meaning we have a message, and we listen to the message. It was from our son, and it went something like this. Um, Just want you to know we're okay. We almost died, but we're okay. And hope you're having a good time or something like this. And we we listened to that message and thought, what what's happening, or what happened? So we, we tried many many times to get a hold of him. Couldn't get a hold. Of him. We called neighbors and that kind of thing. And finally, we were able to get a hold of him. And Andy explained. He said, "I was going to Chicago. Um, he had our permission to do that. He's taking his sister. He's going to visit his girlfriend from college." And he said, "Dad, the." the car just started shaking almost uncontrollably, like things seemed to be flying off of it. And we didn't understand it. So we pulled off to a, in, a, in a gas station there, an exit. And as we were getting out of the car, this racing team, like an Indy racing team, with their big trucks, the guys came out of the restaurant attached to the gas station, asked what the problem was. We said, we don't know. And he explained the problem. They said, well, Your lug nuts are flying off. And what had happened is I had changed the tires, had new tires put on before I left, and they didn't tighten the lug nuts on the wheels all the way. So those lug nuts were flying off. And so they said, we can help with that. So they got their equipment out. They had it all fixed in like 6.7 seconds. (laughs) And when we heard the story, Uh, Just like our hearts are melted because we were thousands of miles away and we couldn't do anything about it. Our kids were going through this, but God was there. And the way He worked was suddenly, miraculously. And He does that sometimes. And when He does, the result of that is like we're like people who dream. We pinch ourselves and say, did that really happen? uh, My wife and I have relatives, and they had three children, um, all under the age of three when their twins were born. And the twins were born prematurely, and so they were flown by helicopter to the nearest university hospital, and they were there for quite a while. One was four pounds, and the other one was under four pounds. And they got the help they needed, but as the days went on, the bills increased. And they were delighted to be able to bring their babies home. But then the bills started arriving. And did I mentioned, they didn't have insurance? And so hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that they would could never pay off in a lifetime. And so this burden is on them. And... And then one day, they got a letter in the mail from the county saying, all of your bills are paid. All your bills are paid. Can you imagine that day? They had to be reading the letter and saying the same thing these people are saying. We're like people who dream. Can this be real? Can this be what's happening? We pinch ourselves. This is the work of God. God. It's amazing, it's astonishing, it's all him, and we just sit back and watch. The result, notice when you, we look at the text, the result is there's joy and delight. God has done great things for them. I love the wording here. God has done great things for them, the Lord's done great things for us. This is typical of worship uh, in the multitude. We, we find the same wording in Exodus chapter 15, when the children of Israel came across the, the Red Sea, and Moses led in that psalm, uh, song of praise in uh, Exodus chapter 15, and he's, he says, first of all, as he's almost looking out over the multitudes, thank you for the way you've delivered them. And then he says, and for the way you've delivered us. So it's multitudes, then he personalizes. By the way, you say, see the same wording in uh, Revelation chapter 7. And the throne scene of God is the multitudes are there and 24 elders are there and they're worshiping and they say, you've delivered them and you've delivered us. So there's great joy. And then he says, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Negev is a Hebrew word that just means south. And it's, it's referring to the southern part of Israel, which is very arid. Um, there is not much water. Uh, It's a lot of sand um, and rock formations, um, some valleys and rifts as you get to the east side of it. Um, But it rains about uh, four inches a year. Can you imagine? But most of that rain comes down at the same time, in a very short period of time. The last time we were in Israel was in November of 2018. And a week before we were there, there, was, there were flash floods in the Negev that um, were 11 uh, Israeli or Jewish school children drowned. And you look at it, you say, how could that happen? This is desert. It happened because, and what he's saying is, restore our fortunes like streams in the, in the desert. In other words, Lord, work in this way. Miraculously, suddenly, so it's hard to explain. Restore our fortresses, like the streams in the ge- quickly. Quickly. We want it done quickly. So that's the first way of God's intervention. Amazing, quick, God does it all. We sit back and just, wow. Has God worked in your life that way? The second way of God's intervention is different. And it's found in verses five through 5 and 6. Let me read. He says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Probably the story behind this is the the, the Assyrian um, marauding raids where the, they would go through and just any time during the day or night you never know that when they were coming. And as a result you had to have your 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 pitchfork in one hand and a, a sword in another because you're you're always had to be on the alert the type of action here god is working god is always working in our lives folks you know that don't you but in this case he's working and he's doing it all by himself in this case the kind of action is uh, we work and god works with us there's a, I grew up on a farm in southwestern Minnesota. Um, just a kid uh, growing up on that farm. But you learned what farming was like, uh, both the, the good and the hard part of it. I remember uh, the fields being planted. And when those fields are planted, they had to be cultivated first, the seed had to be planted, and then fertilizer had to be put on. And nowadays, you spend an awful lot of money on fertilizer. Um, And so you've got a lot of money in the ground before you see any of it. And then you have to pray. And you have to pray that the rain would come at the right times, the seed would germinate, you'd have to pray for sunlight at the right times, and then you want to pray for the rain at continuing times during the life cycle of the corn or beans or whatever you're growing so that the crop would flourish. The Old Testament calls that the early rains and the latter rains that we pray for those are blessings from God. But, but that's what he's talking about. Sometimes God works in our lives, but he does it when we're working, when we're weeping, and when we're praying, and we're waiting. This is hard. This is hard. Um, that's the kind of action that takes place. We, um, when you look at the Scriptures, then we find the result of that, is you can't have a harvest unless you plant the seed. You can't have a harvest unless you till the crops. And you can't have a harvest until you actually go out and reap. But lest any of us think that we can do all of this apart from God, the next psalm reminds us, Psalm 127, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We can put our security systems in, our triple locks, our cameras. But unless the Lord watches it, all of our efforts could be in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. So while we're, we're planting, we're working, we're perspiring, we're praying, we're waiting, um, God is at work bringing the rain bringing the sunlight, and bringing a bountiful harvest. God sometimes works this way. And it's slower. It, we're involved in it. And the result is the same as there. We, the, the response is the same. We praise God. We praise Him for the harvest. And we praise Him for the strength. I'm reminded, we, we remind people that uh, we. my wife and I work with pastors and wives and We'll have uh, retreats up at the lodge and oftentimes, before a meal we want to give a blessing. Bless the food. You've done it at your home, haven't you? But the rabbis when they approach it would approach it differently. They would say, we don't need to bless the food. The food's already been blessed because the, the, the seeds have been planted. The rain has come. The harvest has come. And so we don't need to bless the food. But let's take this opportunity to bless the one who's blessed the food. And so that's an opportunity to bless God. Now, so that's the response. Now, let's let's apply these in different ways. Let's apply these to salvation. Is salvation this kind of intervention from God? Where it's quickly, it's suddenly, it's all God, or is it this kind? I don't mean to trick you here. Let me give you the answer before one of us gets it wrong. Okay? (laughs) Salvation is this. Now, don't misunderstand. The road to salvation could be long. Where we're listening, we're hearing. Where our 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 minds, our hearts become more and more open. But the moment of salvation, it's all God. And the Bible says we're translated in that moment from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Prior to that he said in Ephesians chapter 2 we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But the Holy Spirit breathed into us through regeneration. The spirit of life. Eternal life. So salvation, there could be a ramp up to that. It could be a journey. But the moment you're saved is a, a tremendous moment of repentance and faith where uh, life, eternal life in heaven begins that moment. Now, contrast that with sanctification, the journey to be more like Christ. Don't you wish that were sudden? Like the moment we accept Jesus, we're like Jesus? It doesn't happen that way. It's a journey of sowing and weeping and waiting. Watching God work. And so along this journey, God uses people, he uses the Word, he uses His Holy Spirit, he uses circumstances. And little by little, every day, little by little, in every way, Jesus is changing us. What about finding a mate? So, all of our teenagers now ready to take notes. How do you find a mate? Is it like this, or is it like this? It all depends. I know of some people who've prayed for God to bring somebody into their lives. They've, they've never told anybody what they're looking for. They've never been on a, a dating site. And God brings that person just like that into their lives. And before long they're married and it's like, wow. That, where God worked immediately uh, and it was all Him. And God made it happen. There are other times where people pray, and they work, and they wait. They're on one site and another site. They're doing everything they can, uh, and God hasn't provided. And then maybe one day he does. So God works in different ways in our lives. What about breaking addictions? How does God work in your life? For some people, they come to know Jesus, but they're still struggling with an addiction. And they pray, and like that, that addiction that's held such a strong grip on them for years is loosened, and they've never touched the addiction again. Maybe that's happened with you. But for others, it's praying, it's working, it's going to support groups, it's having accountability partners, and it's a long, hard journey. What about cancer? How does God intervene in our lives? I've known a number of individuals who've had cancer and they're diagnosed, they're ready to begin their treatment programs and they get a second opinion and the second opinion says, you don't don't have cancer. You don't have cancer. And it wasn't that the first diagnosis was wrong, It's just something happened between first diagnosis and second diagnosis. And that is, God worked dramatically, powerfully, and it was all him. Sometimes God works in our lives through cancer in that we pray, we change our diet, we do everything possible, and then it's surgery, and then it's chemo, and it's radiation. And then sometimes it's death. Does God always intervene? Yeah, he does. Sometimes he intervenes immediately, and like that, the cancer is gone. Sometimes he inter- intervenes gradually, and he uses the wisdom of doctors and nurses and hospitals and so forth, and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes God intervenes ultimately where we're changed. The cancer's gone, and we're in the presence of the Lord. I've seen God work in all these different ways. Whatever the... the I remember uh, I remember coming out of our uh, between services one day, coming into our foyer like yours, and there was a, a man there, probably between 35 and 40, and we were, we were talking, and I said, I don't know you. What's your name? He said, well, you told me his name. He said, uh, We've only been coming here for a few months, but he said you need to know that our whole family started coming and we've come to know Jesus and we're so excited about our new life in Christ. He said, Even my mom and dad are coming, but but my dad doesn't know Jesus yet. And he's dying of cancer. I said, Wow. We need to pray. So we prayed together and saw him sometime later and said, How's it going with your dad? He said, Not good. And he reminded me, You know, he's dying of cancer and he doesn't know Jesus. I said, I know, we've been praying. He said, You said something in one of your messages that my dad didn't like, so he stopped coming. I can't imagine anybody responding like that. (laughs) But my dad stopped coming. And he doesn't know Jesus, and he's dying of cancer. So we prayed again. We prayed for God to intervene. Uh, we prayed, his words were, we need a miracle. So sometime later, I saw him in the foyer, in the same spot. I said, how's it going with your dad? He said, you're not going to believe this. He said, we, we convinced him to come back to church one more time. Because you know, my dad's not a believer, he doesn't know Jesus, he's dying of cancer. I so said, I know. We convinced him to come back one more time. And our whole family came that day. And we, in a row back here, we covered the whole row. And he said, during the worship time, as we did this morning, one of the worship leaders said, just you know, greet those around you in the name of the Lord today. Shake hands, hug, fist bump, whatever. Greet one another. He said, the guy that was standing right in front of my dad turned around, and it was his oncologist. An oncologist I didn't know went to our church. And would you believe these odds that of all the churches in our area, the oncologist chose our church to come to that day. And of all the services he could have come to, he came to that service. And of 2,600 seats... He chose that seat. Would you say that's God working? That's the miracle that he prayed for. And he said, when my dad saw the face of his oncologist. He just wept. And we all wept. He said, my dad came to know Jesus. And it was a couple months later, we had a funeral for his dad, who was ultimately healed. Now let me ask a hard question. Perhaps it's not so hard. If you need and want God to intervene in your life, which would you rather have? This kind of intervention, where it's quick, it's sudden, and God does it all, and He gets all the like we're like those who dream. Or would you like this kind? Where it's slower, it involves us in some form or another working and waiting and weeping. Are you ready to vote? <laughs> Nobody looking around. How many want this action? <laughs> you really do. I want both. You want both? Yeah. <laughs> I <got hands> both. <laughs> okay. How many want this? Would, this is your preference now. How many would prefer this one more time? I'm over here. I want this. How many want this? Some of you don't want anything. (laughs) In my life, I've lived a long time. God has intervened in our lives many, many, many times. Very few of them have been like this. And while this is what I would prefer, I think this is what God prefers for me. Because if I always had this... um, God could have never taught me things about Him that I needed to learn. God would have, I never would have learned some things about myself that I desperately needed to learn. And so it's not a matter of I want this or I want that. God's going to do whatever He wants. But recognize that while we oftentimes want this and pray for this, let's recognize that God is just as powerful when he works in our lives this way and whatever way he works let's give him the glory okay our God and our Father we're we're thankful today that we serve a God who's not distanced from us that while you're transcendent and otherly and uh, a billion miles away you're also here imminent and you know the hairs of our head you know the needs of our heart And Father, you care about us and you work with us. So Father, I pray today for every person here who's facing a challenge in their life and they need some type of intervention from you. Lord, bring that intervention, whether it's immediate healing, immediate wisdom that they need for a decision, or Father, if it's more gradual, give us the patience to wait, give us the will to work, and give us the faith to trust.